Well, as you have no doubt picked up by now, we're on the third feast during our Lenten observance of the various Old Testament feasts. We're on the th- this is the third of the spring feasts. First one's Passover. Second one's unleavened bread. This morning is first fruits. So I'm going to be reading from the book of Leviticus. You can turn there if you want to follow along in Leviticus and chapter 23. Leviticus 23, and I'll be reading verses 9 to 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will wave it, and on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All right, well, I, I, I just want to help us to picture the, the timing of these feasts. They just come right after one another. So in, in, the, in the spring, these three feasts, um, the Feast of first fruits actually happens during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's just one on top of the other. So what you have is you have Passover, which kind of kicks it off, and then the very next day, you remember this from last week, the very next day begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasts for a week, But then the next day, after the kickoff of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, within still that week, you have the Feast of First Fruits, right? So for example, this year, 2022, Passover begins at sundown on Friday, April 15. Uh, The the week of Unleavened Bread uh, kicks off on the very next day, April 16. And then on the very next day, April 17, is the Feast of First Fruits. So it's kind of three festival days one right after the other and the feast of first fruits is exactly what it sounds like it's a celebration of the very first ripening of the very first crop of the season Uh, that feast was not celebrated during the 40-year sojourn between Egypt and the promised land obviously that wouldn't have made sense the people of Israel were not farmers during that time they were on the move they were sojourning And so there were no crops to harvest and there were no first fruits to celebrate. But once they settled in the promised land, once they began to cultivate the land and have crops every season, well then this feast became a regular thing. So for our purposes this morning, we've been kind of trying to enter into what it felt like to be an ancient Israelite. So for our purposes this morning, uh, we will imagine that we have in fact arrived in the promised land, but we will imagine on the timeline that we are here prior 
to the reign of King David and to the reign of his son Solomon. And therefore, we are here in the promised land, but the temple has not yet been built. There is no temple to go to. And so we are still using the tabernacle courtyard for our worship, which is where we have gathered today. We're in the tabernacle courtyard right now, which includes both the tent of the tabernacle, which is behind me, and it includes this bronze altar. So for the, for the Feast of First Fruits, there's a corporate element. Corporate meaning we all gather together. We celebrate it together. We worship together. And we're going to talk about that, what that's like in a second. But there's also, for the Feast of First Fruits, there's a family component. When you, when, all of us, when we go off and we go home and we have a feast in our homes. Now how you celebrate that part of it that's up to you. You obviously can't eat leavened bread at your feast because this is the week of unleavened bread. But, but what you do eat, that's up to you. That's your choice. You could think of it a little bit like Thanksgiving here. right? There aren't rules for Thanksgiving. Uh, a lot of people eat turkey, but you don't have to. If you don't like turkey, you don't have to eat turkey on Thanksgiving. Some people have large, multi-generational family gatherings every Thanksgiving. Others have a more intimate meal with just their immediate family during Thanksgiving. Some people always watch football on Thanksgiving. Other people, that's not part of their tradition. You, you're, you're free to celebrate that feast however you like in your own home. First Fruits was kind of like that. Different households celebrated it differently. Different households ate different things. Okay? That's the at-home part of it. We can all enjoy a good feast. But this morning, I want for us to talk about the part that we experience together as the people of God. So here's what we're going to do. Imagine, if you will, that today is the Sabbath. That shouldn't be too hard to do because here we are. The people of God gathered in the house of God to worship God. Today, on this Sabbath day, we're not going to do any work. This is a day that is set aside for rest, for worship, and for fellowship. We're going to devote ourselves to those things. That's all standard Sabbath procedure, which I know it's Sunday today, but that would have fallen on a Saturday for the people of Israel. But tonight, so it's Sabbath, it's Saturday. We're having a standard Sabbath. We're gathering, we're worshiping, we're fellowshipping, we're resting, we're not working. But tonight, as the sun begins to set, we're going to regather. We're going to reconvene. Not here. Don't come here. As the day turns to dusk, here's what I want you to do. Gather your family together and start to take a leisurely walk. Don't rush. Don't hurry. Take your time. Enjoy the scenery. Enjoy the weather. Uh, enjoy the weather. This is imaginary, okay? Enjoy the weather. And... Uh, what you're, <laughs> you're going to do is just take a leisurely walk with your family, with your neighbors. You can go together. And uh, I want you to walk specifically to the barley crop that we have planted for this purpose. You know the field I'm talking about. It's the one when it was time to plant that we set aside. This one is going to be for the Feast of First Fruits. That one. I want you to go to that, that little field. It's not huge. It's just a little field. We all know where it is. 
I want you to go there. You might, you might if you're thinking about this field, you might think of it as I thought about it. I, I thought, oh, it's kind of like the, the field that our farmers use for the food grains ministry every year, right? It doesn't belong to one farmer. I mean, maybe, maybe the actual land does, but the crop doesn't belong to one farmer. It belongs to the community, and it's grown for the specific purpose of giving it away. Well, that's kind of like this field, okay? This barley field, we planted it, doesn't belong to one family, but it's grown for the specific purpose of giving it away. So let's meet there. Let's go there tonight. When you come, be sure to bring your instruments. Okay? Carry them with you. Bring your instruments. Uh, if, if, you're not, if you're not a musician, if you don't have instruments at your home, at the very least, definitely bring your voice. Bring your body. Bring your energy. Because we're going to be singing loud tonight and we're going to be dancing all of us we're going to be moving and dancing in a joyful way okay so as you walk there this evening it's going to be a nice warm evening and as you're heading towards that barley field you're going to bump into other families who are doing the same thing who have their instruments and are also full of joy and the little ones are running around and you can join up with them and walk together as a group, and you know what's going to happen? It's going to start to feel like a party. It's, it's gonna, it's, there's going to be joy in the air. You're going to feel it. There's going to be joy in your heart, and it's going to be contagious, and it's going to feel like a festival, and that's good because that's what it is. It's a festival. All right, well, when you arrive at the barley field, there's, there's going to be a crowd of people there, and they're going to be um, standing at the edge of the field, and the air is just, it's going to be warm and it's going to be loud with voices, loud with laughter. It's going to be a joyful noise of fellowship in anticipation of singing and worship. Okay, so the field itself, when you look out on it, it's mostly green, mostly. But it's just beginning to turn gold. And, and, and it's beginning to show the first signs of ripening. And being ready to harvest. That means it's time for the festival of first fruits. All right, so we're all gathered there now, okay? And things begin to quiet down. Right? There, we have to be quiet at this part because there's no microphones. The people who are going to speak, they're not going to be able to be heard unless the rest of us be quiet. So we calm down, we quiet down, look out into the field. And what do you see? Well, you see the crop, of course. The sun's going down. It's not pitch black yet, but it's getting to be dusk. And you see three men standing in the field. Do you see them? Each one of them is holding a sickle in one hand and a basket in the other. Three men in the field. They're facing the crowd. They're going to ask the crowd a series of questions. They know the answers to these questions. They're not trying to get information. This is liturgy. They say the same questions every year. And the crowd responds with the same answer every year. The response is yes. It's not, it's not yeah, it's not yep, it's not like a quiet little yeah. It's yes, that kind of yes. It is a resounding with one voice, everybody shouting yes. Can you handle that? Okay. These are not profound questions. These are not deep philosophical questions. These are not even theological questions. These are just questions that serve to center the attention of the crowd 
and make everyone focus on what is actually happening. Okay, they're basic questions. I'm going to ask them. You're going to respond with a resounding yes. Ready? Here we are in the field. You picture me. I'm in the field with two other guys. We got a sickle. We got a basket. We're speaking with one voice in unison, the three of us. Has the sun gone down? Yes. Shall I use this sickle? Yes. Shall I use this basket? Yes. Is it now time to reap the harvest? Yes. There it is. We did it. Now I and the two other men with me proceed to cut down one ephah of grain. This is, a, this is joy. This is a moment of celebration. God Almighty has once again provided for us, met our needs, and sustained us f- through another season. And so as we're chopping down and cutting the grain and gathering up one ephah of grain, everybody is celebrating and rejoicing. How much is an ephah? How long is this going to take us? Well, an ephah is 10 omers worth. How much is an omer? Well, it's not an exact measurement, but according to Exodus, an omer of manna was, a, was the amount that one person needed to be fed throughout the whole day was an omer. Okay? So it's, it's probably about, best estimates, about half a gallon of grain. Okay? So an ephah is 10 overs. An ephah is uh, about five gallons of grain. That's not a small amount, but it's not a massive amount. Uh, when David went and brought food to his brothers, remember that scene where little David had to bring food to his brothers in the army? We're told that he brought one ephah of roasted grain for them. So it's a manageable amount. And remember when the barley's harvested, though, in the field, it's not threshed yet. So it's, it's the sheaves that we're harvesting. And as the sheaves are being cut and being collected, the crowd is singing and clapping and dancing and just spilling over with joy and gratitude and worship. It's a party. It's a worship service. It's a celebration, and it just is flowing out of us. Why? Well, because we're together. We're doing this together. It's a celebration of us being one family in the Lord. It's a celebration of our fellowship. We do this together every year. Why else? Well, we're celebrating because God is with us and God is good. He is our God and we are his people. That's what we're celebrating. And we're celebrating because not all that long ago, we were liberated from slavery in Egypt. We were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. We are now free people in the promised land, free to gather and free to worship as God commands us to do. That's worth celebrating. And we're also celebrating because God has once again provided the sun and provided the soil and provided the seed and provided the rain and caused our crops to go, to grow once again and to yield a harvest and to sustain us for another cycle, another season. And so once again, here we are offering the first fruits, the very first ripening, the very first fruits are not for us, but we're offering them to God in worship and celebration of what he has done for us. All right, well, now it's time for us. We're going to leave the field together. We came individually as units, as household units. We're going to leave together as a group as the family of God. 
And you know where we're going to go? We're not going home. We're coming here to the tabernacle and to the altar. Okay? This altar, I keep saying this every week, this is the centerpiece of our life and worship. Okay, so now the sun has gone down. Maybe we can make the sun go down at this point so we can experience this. The sun has gone down. It's dark. We're walking together, right? And as we approach the altar, you can see the coals are already burning. The coals are in the altar. It's dark. We're gathered here, uh, and, and we gather uh, together together. And uh, there goes the sun again. <laughs> and uh, we get here, and the priest takes the sheaves that have been cut down, and we read it in Leviticus, he has to wave them. He waves them before the Lord. That's called a wave offering. He's waving the sheaves before the Lord. And now we take these sheaves and we thresh them. We, there's canes. There's people assigned to do this. And we, the, the sheaves are beaten with the canes. And then the grain is harvested. And the grain is put on a pan. And the pan has perforated holes on the bottom. And the pan is placed over an open fire. And the grain is parched. It's roasted. And then the omer of grain is mixed with three quarters of a pint of oil. And then a handful of frankincense is thrown in there to make it smell good. A pleasing aroma. And it's, it's waved before the Lord. And then it's placed on the altar. And it's consumed. It's burned. That offering of that grain that has just been harvested, the first fruits, that offering consecrated the whole coming harvest to the Lord. It's a small part of the whole harvest. It's the very first part. And it represents the whole. Right? It's the first fruits representing the whole. And it's a way of us bringing that before the Lord and saying, Lord, all this comes from you. All of it. You've entrusted it to us. You've given it to us. We receive it with gladness, but we also receive it recognizing that ultimately it all belongs to you. It's yours. The harvest is your property. We're your property. The earth and the fullness thereof, all of it is yours, God. And this is a way for us to recognize and to celebrate that we receive it from you with gratitude, with joy, and with thanksgiving. That's the grain offering, but we're not done. We're not done. Because the book of Numbers, chapter 28, tells us a little bit more about what we need to do tonight. We've, got, we've harvested in the field, we've gathered, we've offered the grain offering, but there's more to be done tonight before we go home to feast. The book of Numbers 28 says this, On the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. We're doing that right now. You shall not do any ordinary work, but offer a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Here's the burnt offering. We've done the grain offering. Here's the burnt offering. Two bulls from the herd. We've got to bring two bulls. One ram... Seven male lambs a year old. Also, and we've done this already, the grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each bull. So that's in addition to what we've done with the first fruits. We need to add more grain offering for each bull. Two-tenths for one ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs. 
with one male goat to make atonement for you, besides the regular burnt offering and its grain offering. Remember, we offer a burnt offering every day, every single day of the year. We still have to do that. And you shall offer them and their drink offering as well, and see that they are without blemish. All right, now these offerings, these animal offerings, they're what's known as the ola, or the whole burnt offering. That means they're burnt entirely on the altar. No meat is saved. Remember on Passover, we we offered the entrails, salted them. We got to take the meat home and eat it. Not this one. The whole whole, uh, animal is burnt and consumed on the altar. And I think, again, I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again this week. It's worth noting that this is an awful lot of bloodshed for a festival that's celebrating grain. It's a grain harvest. And so once again, I invite you to hear the sounds of the sacrificial animals and to smell the smells of the smoke rising from the altar, smoke rising from burning the animals and from burning the grain. And to remember that even though we have this pristine and beautiful recreation of the altar here, in real life the horns, the corners of the altar, and the sides of the altar would have been covered with coagulated and charred blood. Now that we've done all that, we can go home, we can celebrate with family and friends, and we can enjoy the feast of first fruits. Remember, don't eat any leavened bread at your feast, but other than that, Enjoy yourself. You are commanded to enjoy yourself and have a good meal tonight. Okay, let's put the lights up. I have two more, two more things for us to think about. That's first fruits. We just celebrated first fruits together. We harvested, we offered an offering to the Lord, and we went home and had a feast. It's a good day. It's a joyful day. The last two points I want to make are this. I want to consider how this feast relates to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to think about how this feast relates to our life and ministry today. Okay? So the the past two weeks, we have paid attention, careful attention, to the timing of the death and burial of Jesus as it relates to these symbolic feasts. I want to consider that again this morning. You recall that Jesus was crucified on a Friday. That was the day of the Passover. Most of us know that. Most of us know that connection between the the crucifixion and the offering of the Passover lamb. Christ is our perfect Passover lamb. Right? Behold the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. That's how John announced the ministry of Jesus. Our Passover lamb was sacrificed He was a lamb without blemish, as they had to be. He was slain to atone for the sins of God's people. That's Passover. As the sun set that day, a new day started, at least according to Jewish reckoning. The new day begins not at sunup, but at sundown. The calendar turns over to the next day. And so that means that Jesus was laid in his tomb on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That is a day when the people of Israel purged themselves of sin, purged them symbolically, purged themselves of the evil influence and idolatry of Egypt, and they started over again with a clean slate. And that was the day that the Lord Jesus was buried in the tomb. The next day after that is Sunday, first day of the week. And according to the Jewish calendar, 
That was the day of the feast of first fruits. The day on which Jesus Christ rose again from the dead was the day of first fruits. Could you have possibly picked a more fitting day for the day of the resurrection? The Passover is about atonement. Unleavened bread is about breaking with the past. And first fruits is a promise of the harvest that's to come. Well, we all know that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb slain for us. But have we thought about the fact that he is the, he is the human chief of grain of the first fruits that God set apart? This one's mine. And he was beaten and laid on the altar and offered up to God and accepted by God on our behalf. And his death and resurrection was a promise to us from God about what is to come, the first fruits of a coming harvest. Listen to how Paul makes that connection explicitly. I'm not making this up. Paul makes that connection. Remember in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For if the dead are not raised, well, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. You're wasting your time. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they too have perished. They're not going to be raised either if he's not raised. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we, of all people, are most to be pitied. We're fools if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And then he follows with that precious preposition, right? He says, but, but, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's not an accident that Paul uses that word there. Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man, uh, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits. And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. When he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Christ is the first fruits. And at his coming, all of those who belong to Christ will be raised. He goes on later in that chapter to say the words that we always recite when we are standing at the graveside and when we plant the bodies of our beloved into the ground. These words always get, I always say them when I'm doing a, a, a graveside service. I, every time I've been to one, I have heard the pastor say them. They always get said. These are the words of life and hope. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, O death, you are swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, there's that preposition again, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. That's what the Feast of First Fruits is ultimately all about. Yes, it's a harvest feast. Yes, it's right and good and fitting that we should return thanks and praise to God for the ways in which he provides for our needs. Yes. Yes, it is good for us to recognize our dependence on him for all things, including our dependence on him for our daily bread. Yes, that's right and good. But it is important for us to recognize, along with the Apostle Paul, that the Feast of First Fruits was pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits of those who have died. Because Christ himself, though he died, did not stay dead, but has been raised from the dead. And his resurrection contains the promise of our resurrection. He's the first fruits. We're the harvest. All of us who have been united with him by grace through faith. And we live in the hope of that promise right now, today. This week I, I, read, a, I read a passage from a, a philosopher, Seneca. This is what he wrote. He said, don't think of your death as something that lies ahead in your future. Think of it as a process that's happening to you right now in real time. Each day that passes is dead. It's gone. You'll never get it back. Death is not a future event. Death is an ongoing daily event. I think there's real wisdom in that perspective. That makes sense to me. But what Seneca didn't know is that the reverse is also true for those of us who are in Christ. Eternal life is not something that lies ahead in our future. Eternal life is a process happening in real time right now. Because Christ is risen from the dead, because Christ is our first fruits, eternal life begins right now in this life. It's not a future event that's going to happen to you. It is happening right now because Christ is risen. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of places in the Bible that say something along those lines. Probably my favorite is 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. If you think about it, all three of the feasts that we've been discussing the last three weeks are contained in that one verse. Right? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That's Passover. Right? We're made one with Christ. We're made a new creation through his atoning sacrifice. The old has passed away. That's unleavened bread. Right? Getting rid of the old sin and idolatry. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. That's first fruits. See, putting off the old is not enough. We need to do that, but we also need to put on the new. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Right? If you only take off the old, but don't put on the new, well, you get rid of the leaven, you get the reset, you get the blank slate that we talked about last week, but you're just going to draw the same old picture again, unless you put on the new. It's the first fruits that enables us to draw a new and beautiful picture with our lives each and every day. Now, admittedly, we don't get that right every single day. We still make mistakes, we still sin, we still stumble along the way. But each and every day, we have the opportunity to present ourselves before God as a living wave offering, to show gratitude to Him, and to declare to Him and to ourselves that we are not our own, but we belong in body and in soul, both in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Eternal life doesn't begin when we die. Eternal life begins now while we're alive. The Apostle Paul tells us that we're citizens of heaven right now. We're residents of this earth and citizens of heaven. And it's here on earth while we live that we are called to establish outposts of the kingdom of heaven. First fruits is about being raised with Christ right now while we live on earth. And knowing that we have a promise that when we die, death doesn't win. Death isn't victorious. But we inherit resurrection bodies that will never die. And we will be in his presence forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, it's thrilling to think that your people through the ages, through the decades and centuries and millennia, have gathered roughly this time of year in a climate that's a little different than this one, but the idea is the same. That you're the God who makes the crops grow. And you are the God to whom we turn and give thanks and praise for your provision to us. And it's thrilling for us to stand in the tradition of people who have acknowledged who you are and have expressed gratitude and worship for the gifts that you give. And it is even more thrilling to think that you folded that story into the story of our salvation, into the death and the resurrection of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we not only celebrate your provision of food and a harvest, but we celebrate your provision of the harvest of eternal life that each one of us has received as a gift because Jesus Christ is our first fruits, risen from the dead so that we might rise as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.